go. Yes. You're you're ready. Yes. Okay. Yeah, it's already started. All right, we're going. <laughs> Folks, it's True Crime Tuesday. Tonight we're going to do a really cool episode about a serial killer. That's the best kind of killer. But of course, the lasting question is, is he a hero? The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on this is Sunday. About the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. Guns up, giddy up, Wolfpack. This is Failure to Stop. True crime. This is your favorite show of the week. You've waited all week for this. That's why we didn't put it at the end of the week because we knew you couldn't make it. I'm John. I'm a 911 dispatcher who's working in the field right now, except that I'm actually at home doing a podcast. And joining me as always is my ex-wife, former police officer, Kendra Drama. This is the whole point of this podcast. So you can go anywhere for true crime. There's lots of places out there to do that. Uh, but you shouldn't. Why? Well, first of all, a lot of them are actually pretty bad, but like a few kind of rise <laughs> to the top, like scum to the top of a pond. And then we are the boat on that pond, okay? We're not even at their level. Why? Because Kendra is a former police officer. She used to be a, uh, a nar- undercotic, n- undercover narcotic drug drug detect. What was your thing? Drug detective? I was actually um, uh, a Miami drug- Miami police. I was a drug dog. She was a literal drug dog. She actually, b- before women's rights were invented, she could only get hired on a police department as a canine unit. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I could keep going with this. It is some pretty fucking terrible places. So I'm going to stop. Um, <laughs> yes. We're going to have some people spin that in a very, very, very strange way. That I wish to avoid, but it's unavoidable now because I then? keep talking. Why did you about say it? it? Why did you say it? I don't, even know why I don't you said fucking it. know. Just continue. <laughs> but I'm this close to starting over. We're only two minutes in. No, um, don't start over. <laughs> don't start it over because you know we'll never finish if that happens. Uh, folks, uh, it's True Crime Tuesday. And tonight we're going to talk about a special case. Uh, but before we do that, Kendra, how are you? I know that you had a fascinating weekend. I did. Um, I slept for like 12 or 13 hours every night. And then Wednesday, um, I had to go to the DMV to renew my tag. And while I was waiting in line, I found a buffalo head nickel on the ground. That's actually not a bad story. Before the show, we were like arguing that she's literally had never never had a single life experience to refer to. <laughs> to, to, to just so I was like make something up, and she's like, my brain can't conceive of a fake thing. And now she tells me that she went to the DMV and found a buffalo nickel. I mean, that's not bad. It's okay, right? Guys, I mean, put a one in the, the put a one in the chat if you like Kendra's <laughs> fake story about finding a buffalo nickel. That was pretty good, right? I mean. It's not fake. Most of the time I go home and just stare at the wall until I fall asleep. <laughs> oh, what an enviable life. You know, Sometimes I'll from, eat something. You're from clutter. Um, <laughs> we, we had kind of a, a to-do last week when we were talking about uh, chips on uh, sandwiches. Uh, uh, quite a few people got to do our comments on online and 
some people were talking about how like it only applies to like ham and cheese chips. You said that mm-hmm. it had to be on on meat sandwiches. Did you want to address the people that said it has to be ham or specifically Black Forest ham, uh, which is like the most fascist ham <laughs> I can think of? <laughs> well, um, yes, bl- no. The Black I... Forest is in Germany, and if you want to have like an, an American ham, you would get a Smithfield ham because that's in Virginia. So I'm all about equating meats to um, political regimes and militias, um, but. I am open to all meats on sandwiches. I think that chips, well, the chips vary too. Like, do you want a tortilla chip or a salt vinegar chip or maybe a barbecue chip? A barbecue chip on a fucking turkey sandwich with some pepper jack? Mm, that sounds good. I could do I that. I would do that, yeah. That sounds really um, good. This is the new. We're, I think this is going to be an ongoing thing because I really like how this is turning out for everyone. Um, <laughs> Kendra, I have to ask you a point of etiquette. Um, so okay. you've got you've got a seasoned chip. Mm-hmm. Let's call it. Let's call it uh, a blue Dorito. Okay. And you've got, um, uh, and you don't have to like worry about like the culinary pairing here. This isn't what's important. What's important is the etiquette. You're in a social setting. You've got blue Doritos, and for the sake of argument, you've got uh, some uh, uh, Dean's French onion dip there. Can you take a pre-dusted or flavored chip and dip it into a dip, or does it have to be a flavor-free chip before you can dip? Then we're sharing the dip. It's a communal. Yeah, everyone. Someone yeah. took the lid off of it. <clears throat> it's pretty. Communal. I say, I say, don't. Don't stick your seasoned chips in a communal dip because it kind of gives me the same vibe as when you open a sour cream and there's like someone took their spoon from their taco and put it in there. And now there's fucking like seasoning in there from the spoon. It's really gross. So I say no. There's no there's no seasoned dusted chips going in a communal dip. All right. The correct answer was dip at the edge. All right, so let's talk about. <laughs> well, I'm sorry, but you didn't get it correct. Like, well, it's in a matter of opinion. So, is it really right or wrong? Don't equivocate with me. There is always a right or wrong in every situation. If she's Whatever rolling you her think eyes, is right. No, I think? ask questions because I'm on a quest for complete world knowledge, and I, sir, I am down to chip etiquette. So I, I don't believe I you. You want you just want confirmation bias. That's what you want. You don't want world knowledge. Want you want people to agree. Bias. Excuse me, Kendra. I will go to the places I normally go to for my confirmation bias. I I made the mistake of picking your brain, and I'm sorry if I left a little dust in it when I did that. <laughs> Kendra and I are joking. This is all good fun, but we will fight <clears throat> after we are done with this. So, and I'll win. Uh, What's that? You'll win, yeah. Because I'm a fire hydrant. We know that you can only win in physical confrontations. We only we know that you can beat me up, but you have never you have never been right. Womp womp. Uh, womp womp. Let's do that. Let's do the ad reads real quick so we can All actually right. do this show because we're almost eight minutes in, and someone <laughs> who's like 
bless you. Someone who is new to the show, like, is like, oh my gosh, they're gonna do, they're gonna do this case, and they're just, they're right now in the in the little comments saying, like, does the show ever actually start? Because they've never seen failure to stop before, and they don't know that like we bullshit for like a solid ten minutes before we started the case. You gotta remember, if you're new to the show, Kendra and I are beloved by the audience. People people know us. We are as friends. It is a good time here. We are live tonight with uh, in the chats with Michael Hendricks and uh folk narrator and felony melanie and others possibly uh so they're our friends and they're just here to hang out with us and we also talk true crime but we do get uh pretty serious and like i said she's a cop so uh she knows a whole bunch of shit so this show is brought to you by ghost bed folks you can go over to the ghost bed website and you can use the offer code Wolfpack, and you can save up to 40% on whatever you find there. They're a fine company that makes mattresses, pillows, sheets, and all kinds of accoutrement to help you get the best night's sleep possible. Folks, it sleeps so good, it's scary. You can go over there, and with the offer code Wolfpack, 0% down and 0% financing, you can get anything in the store, no problem. Even if you have the credibility of someone who, like, tries to like fucking put their sour cream on their taco from the same spoon they spooned in their meat with and it leaves a fucking mess and it's a month old if you have that kind of credibility you could still go over there to ghost bed and you can get a wonderful deal we love ghost bed of course because they love us back that's how the deal goes they pay us we love them it's a pay-for-play type deal it's called capitalism people look it up go over there tell them that failure to stop sent you they'll keep continuing to fund us so that Kendra and I do not have to do this show for slavery. We will continue to do it because we are compelled by the court to do it in the world's worst divorce. And uh, the bailiff, which stands by my bedside every night with an AED, <laughs> making sure that I don't slip into the sweet, hot bath of death every night so that I can continue to show up here. Anyway, GhostBed anyway, is the sponsor of the show. So go over there and use the offer code Wolfpack. <laughs> USA! USA. 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 Whenever I get lost in the weeds from now on, we'll just start screaming USA. Um, the show is <laughs> really also brought to you by Yes, really back in. Show is also brought to you by Factor Meals. Are you hungry? Are you at home? Why aren't Factor Meals being delivered to you at home? You wouldn't be hungry anymore. Right now is a terrible time to be outside. I went outside to, today to check the mail. It was really cold. I'm like, I'm not doing this again. So back inside. And of course, Kendra spent the entire day uh, looking at a wall, unblinking, uh, thinking about that buffalo nickel from the day before. Because uh, that was a no-holds-barred thrill ride beyond comparison for mm -hmm. her to find that at the DMV. And uh, anyway, so when you're at home, you should have meals delivered to you by Factor Meals. You can use the offer code Wolfpack50. You can save 50% off to start. They have all kinds of options, over 300 options, including breakfast, including uh, delicious fruit smoothies. These we brought right to your house in a box. They're refrigerated. You can throw them in the microwave. Don't do that with the smoothies. Just a pro tip. And uh, you can have that hot and ready to eat in about two minutes. And uh, it's food just like your mama used to make. This is not uh, this is not a kid's cuisine dinner. This is not uh, a hungry man frozen Salisbury steak. This is something that you're going to enjoy eating. It's going to be good for your mood. It's going to perk you up. These are long, dark, cold, unending months in which we, we are forever prisoners to pain, time, and our own memories. But one thing that can help you get through till tomorrow is a good meal because it will help perk you up. So Half Factor Meals, deliver that to your house. We appreciate them supporting failure. Just stop. We love you. Factor Meals, again, 50% off to start. They continue to fund the podcast, so let them know that this is a good place to advertise. We appreciate you, Factor Meals. Also, we just had Mardi Gras, and there's a little chip 
that uh, is the official chip of Mardi Gras. I'm talking, of course, about Zaps chips. Yes, John. This is a bag of Zaps potato chips, the official chip of True Crime Tuesday on Failure Stop if they ever sponsor us. And, you know, I would probably, I love them so much. I genuinely love them so much, especially the New Orleans kettle style voodoo. I would probably murder somebody for a bag of these chips. But luckily, I don't have to do that because they're available nationwide. You can get them anywhere. They're crunchy. They're savory. They're a little salty, a little vinegary, kind of barbecue. And um, I love them. The kiss, end. Kiss the chip. No. <laughs> I'm not doing that. I told her multiple times before this episode that she should lean over and kiss the chip. No. You have to make them believe that we love them if you ever want fiduciary or culinary gains from Zach. I do chips. love them. I vowed to get a tattoo of the bag on me somewhere. <laughs> All right. See? I don't know what's wrong with you. You don't I did a friendly like a, side hug of the chip. Th this was this is an adult podcast. We're taking it slow. You just want to be friends for a while. <laughs> I'm gonna get to know him a little bit more. Okay. You know? You gotta look for the red flags. There probably aren't any because Zaps is perfect. And they won't love bomb me and then abandon me after trauma bonding and um anyway that's that's it john <laughs> <laughs> sorry i thought it was kendra time i didn't know <laughs> that's what i think about when i stare at the wall there was a show a week or two weeks ago where you just like implied that like i don't ever fucking let you talk and what the whole the whole of Tuesday nights has always been there has always been a complaint that the charismatic masculine host uh, dominates in terms of speaking time uh, the case and the 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 uh, true crime inquisitive bone collecting female zaps chips loving whoever the true crime girl is doesn't get enough time so well, you were finally on kind of a thing so I didn't want to interrupt you. Oh, well, thank you, John, it's, for being so considerate. Yes, it's now been seven minutes since it was seven minutes, so we should probably get to this case. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tonight's case is about the Long Island serial killer. This starts in 2010 in Long Island, New York, uh, but it mm -hmm. starts as something else. It starts as another case entirely. Now, this case interests me because I first found out about this case about a month ago, and I thought, you know what? We don't do enough unsolved stuff on the show. So I emailed Kendra and I said, hey, like, look at this uh, Long Island serial killer case. This is fascinating. And it'll be cool because, like, if they ever solve it while we're still doing the podcast, like, we'll be able to do updates and it'd be awesome. And she goes, hey, idiot, <laughs> it's already been solved. I'm like, well, fuck, I should have skipped to the end or scrolled all the way to the bottom of the Wikipedia because it has been solved. Uh, so I'm sorry to uh, the true crime podcast listeners out there who wanted an unsolved crime. And I guess uh, to the families, thank God, you know, that we solved it. Yes. And just not to spoil it. Um, they just. What? Go ahead. Oh, did you say, I thought you said something. Um, 
they just as of in January they charged him with a fourth. Uh, oh, with a fourth. Oh, so he let's was initially uh, charged on. with three. We didn't. We don't even know who he is. So let's go back to uh, to a night and, and talk about uh, the uh, the woman Shannon Gilbert. This goes back all the way to May first, twenty ten. Shannon Gilbert was twenty three years old, and she disappeared. While visiting Gilgo Beach, uh, she was there to perform a uh, a job. She was a sex worker. In fact, all of our victims mm-hmm. uh, are sex workers. So it's very unusual. Uh, and we'll break this down. But Shannon called them a one. And she claimed that people were plotting to kill her. She fled from the house of a doctor named what was it? Jim Hackett was his name, or Peter Hackett, Peter Peter or Paul Hackstead. Fled from his <laughs> house. It, it, the doctor's actually like super important and like a major player, but there's so many major players in this case we can't get to them all. Uh, the doctor is somebody who like once faked a heart attack to get out of an interview. Anyway, <laughs> I love that story so much. It's a good one. Uh, maybe I'll tell it and reenact it for you in a bit if we. Okay. run short which i don't think we will she fled <laughs> from the house she was at where she was called to do a job she was last seen banging on doors in the neighborhood while screaming for help she disappeared into the night uh no one knows whatever happened to her um other true crime podcasts speculate that the 911 just didn't care if they never sent someone else they never sent anyone out to look for her they speculate that 911 dispatchers or police officers just say, eh, just a domestic, and then we just don't do anything. Domestics <laughs> are like some of the most important calls that we take. They're the most dangerous for police officers. Back me up on this, Kendra. Oh, yeah. You always Absolutely. take a cover unit when you're going to a domestic, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, 100%. Why, why is that? <clears throat> well, because there's usually more than one person. <laughs> it's very tense, and domestic violence cases are... Um, I mean, statistically, most murders happen, they're spousal murders. I mean, you can walk into pretty much anything with a domestic violence, especially since the way that people report them, um, you don't always get all of the information that you need, or it's coming third party and you really, really don't know what's going on. You just have a neighbor saying, I hear yelling or whatever. <clears throat> they're very dangerous. You don't, you, you really walk in blind a lot of times to those and it can be very intense because it's uh, like also a lot of pent up shit coming out at once. <laughs> when Kendra arrests the man for beating his wife, she goes, don't you lay a hand on him. And then someone like sinks a knife into Kendra's back. So that's what the other police officers are for to prevent that kind of bullshit. But you generally also, I also have take to... my leather. I also took my leather gloves off and would smack them across the face with him. You to start a duel because like you were a old Hollywood style. I, yes, uh, I would love to see one of those before I die. Also, <laughs> you have to separate every, separate them and then get the stories straight and compare the stories. Mm-hmm. So it's like it's definitely a two cop job. Anyway, yes. So she dis- she disappears into the night. She's gone for nineteen months. Nobody locates her, but it doesn't mean that a search didn't begin. May three, Doctor Peter Hackett was an Oachbeak resident. He called Gilbert's mother and allegedly claimed that he ran a home for wayward girls. Now, this is the doctor who solicited Shannon for sex and had her come out and 
apparently she was in his house for two hours, but the two did not have sex or do drugs. Um, even though Shannon Dowd number one said these people are plotting to kill me. Sounds a little uh little paranoid. Mm-hmm. I think she was originally she was initially written off as like a drug induced paranoia state, and then she did something uh you know untoward. Yeah. She disappeared herself or or she's not even disappeared, she's fine, she's just laying low or whatever. Uh that's the thing too I want to say about the victims in this case, all being sex workers, they're all very vulnerable. They're less likely to um be using their own names. Uh, they're not typically very traceable people. They're trying to avoid police interaction already. They're often, you know, taking dangerous steps. They're often out on their own. Uh, she was going far out of her way to go to this, you know, call to do this job. And now, so we have Dr. Peter Hackett, who is also like a police surgeon, who's someone mm-hmm. who like <laughs> yeah. uh, was just a weird guy. So he's like, so a police surgeon is like someone who like checks people out at the jail and other things like that but he also like lied and say said that he he took play he he was involved in an airplane crash investigation once and he wasn't and again i'll, I'll just go ahead and do the thing now he's a he was a huge suspect for the disappearance of shannon right mm. because he's the one that hired her for sex and who knows what drugs they did before she took off into the night and at one point a camera crew approaches dr peter hackett and they're like what'd you do with the body where is she and he goes hey oh <laughs> Ah, you're like, you're like, what's up with you? And he goes, you made my implanted defibrillator go off. Ow. And they're like, they're, and so he's getting into a car and they're like, well, my God, man, do you need a doctor? He goes, I am a doctor. And then he drives away rather than just saying like, I have no comment at this time. Or like, you have the wrong Dr. Peter Hackett or saying something intelligent or just nothing. He's just like, Oh, you know, it's just, if you ever come across that video of him like doing the fake, uh, it, it's the worst acting you could ever imagine. Like I can hardly act bad enough to do the sincere acting that he was. I'm gonna find it and post it on my Instagram because you find it. You find it. I, um, I think uh, I think you could probably find it in the uh, A and E series, the Killing Season. The first three episodes are about the Gilgo Beach killer. So okay, you could probably find it in there. But good luck trying to get that onto your phone. I don't know how to make reels. Maybe you know better than me. Anyway, I can do it. So so he <laughs> called Shannon Gilbert's mom, like the mom of the prostitute he hired, mm-hmm. which is weird. And how did he get that information? Probably through some sort of impropriety. Which when you have civilians working foreign law enforcement agency there's usually lots of impropriety where people are going through improper channels and you know talking to uh you know their girlfriends or husbands or wives or whatever who also work there or in other departments and getting favors and because there's no reason he should have access to like shannon gilbert's mother's phone number and he calls her and says he ran home for wayward girls which is weird and the and that he had treated her the morning of her disappearance he later denied doing that However, phone records were proved that it took place. And he's just like, well, I didn't know that there were such a thing as phone records before I said that. <laughs> so that it's so that he like uh, said, oh, my colostomy bag exploded. To be <laughs> I didn't know that I was going to get caught, guys. I, I didn't know I would be confronted on my it's, uh, insane lies. That, how like, was I only supposed serve, to know that? That only served to incriminate me and not exonerate at all. Uh, anyway. <laughs> So here's the interesting thing. The mother was so convinced that he was the one who was responsible. She sued him for a wrongful death suit. So like, remember OJ where he didn't get convicted of murdering Nicole Brown Simpson, but then he got sued for a wrongful death. And then because yeah. the standard, the standard for um, 
is is lower. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt. It's like preponderance of evidence. The court determined that mm -hmm. O.J. Simpson was most likely responsible for the death of Nicole Brown Simpson. She actually sued him, Dr. Hackett, thinking he was the guy that killed her daughter and said, I'm going to sue her for the wrongful death of my daughter. So did you want to get into what happened? That. Yes. Did you want to get into what happened in the search for Shannon? Because this is where the investigation takes a massive left turn away from Shannon and goes in an yeah, entirely so new. Hold on. I'm building up. An entirely new more it's going in a it's going in an entirely new more sinister direction yes kendra so, go ahead so, <laughs> so during the searches i mean it, the searches lasted like you said she was gone for quite a while like 19 months um she went missing in may and all the way into december of 2010 they were still doing the searches, um, probably not as fervently, but it was still a thing. And um, a deputy who had a cadaver dog was on the side of Ocean Parkway, which is a long stretch of highway that runs up through Long Island and through multiple counties. And in this area that he's at near Gilgo Beach, it's pretty desolate. It's a marshy, like long two lane highway stretch of nothing, right? So he pulls over the side of the road, he gets out with his dog, and his dog hits on something like 30 yards off the road. It's a burlap sack, and the contents of the burlap sack were human remains. Um, naturally, he's assuming that this is Sarah. Oh, so they, they found Shannon. I'm Sarah. <laughs> Shannon. It's okay, Thank folks. You. We're going to get names wrong sometimes, but that's why there's two of us. Just like you send two <laughs> cops to a domestic, you send two podcasters to a case this complex. There isn't even so, anyone named Sarah in this whole case. There's no one named Sarah. So if you heard Sarah and you memorized that name thinking, man, I need to keep track of this. No, delete Sarah. But he must Shannon. have thought, I, I found Shannon, the girl that disappeared after visiting Dr. Peter Hackett. No, yeah. he finds the body of Melissa Bartholomew which is a totally other person. Yes. And so immediately upon discovering these remains, he contacts his chain of command and the investigators come out. And while they're doing um, their investigation of this person that they later identify as Melissa, um, the deputy continues the search of the area and he locates a second body. Well, this one's definitely Shannon, right? Um, no, no it it's is not. <laughs> this is the body of Maureen Brainerd Barnes, who was a young woman that went missing in 2007. Wow. So, so three now years before. Yes. And so now, and um, Melissa went missing in 2009. So now we have, um, I mean, they don't know this at this point, right? But we're having consecutive, consecutive murders in the same area. Um, two bodies are found within a hundred yards of each other off the side of the road. Um, there's a couple similarities with these bodies. Uh, one, they can determine that they're female and two, that there's um, burlap sack involved in the wrappings of the bodies. Mm -hmm. So they continue their investigation and the deputy and his dog come across a third body. Oh shit. So this is, they finally found Shannon. Three times the charm. Except for right now, because it was not Shannon. <laughs> this was a woman named Megan Waterman. She was identified. She went missing 
in June of 2010, so a little bit after Shannon. And she was also wrapped in burlap. So they're continuing their investigation. And wouldn't you know it, the deputy finds a fourth body. Holy shit. It's not Shannon, is it? And it's not Shannon. <laughs> Still not Shannon. Do you Shannon. see a pattern emerging here, Scully? Yes. <laughs> Scully. Um, and the thing about this is they find the bodies within, I think it was a quarter mile of each other. Each of them was within about 500 feet. So what? Mm -hmm. let, let's set the scene a little bit. Do you mind a little atmosphere? Sure. You described it a little bit as this long stretch of land that extends outward into the Atlantic Ocean. It's what divides the harbor of New York from the Atlantic Ocean. At night, it's just a long strip of land on the east side, a commercial beach, with graded sand where surfers delight in the sun in the summertime. And on the west side, like you said, a marshy, sticky wetland, home to the crane, the Canada goose, and various frogs. <clears throat> However, at night, when you're driving on this long stretch of boulevard, which is defined as a road which has a median in it and comes from France, you can drive out there at night and you can see someone coming from very, very, very far away. And you can pull over and you can empty your vehicle of your filthy evil contents of your this the evidence of your murder throw it off the road and then get in your vehicle and drive away you can have moments of isolation to yourself out there so even though this is long island close to the most bustling city of new york this is indeed a very isolated and terrible place and some people have speculated that this is not only a convenient dumping ground for the consummate person who wants to be able to dispose of the evidence of their crimes without being cited. But this is like a trophy room, a place where he can go for a drive. And although the bodies are not in sight from the road, he can know they are there. Just like walking into a men's lodge and seeing the mounted heads of deer or, you know, lions or whatever before you have your brandy and your cigar and you, you think about how much coins you have in the bank and how you're gonna <laughs> women them when you get home it's how many just buffalo like that. head nickels you have yes only it's evil right so it's like a trophy room so <laughs> yes that was one thought so that's that's kind of the spooky scene and so we have now four bodies out there on this stretch of land this dark isolated area that is that is yes. much colder than the mainland kendra and the fourth body um, we forgot to mention was uh, a woman by the name of Amber Costello, who also went missing in the summer of 2010. All of these women went missing in the summer. All of them were escorts. And they, I say all, the four, which would later go on to be known as the Gilgo Four, which is probably what you've heard if you've, if you've been keeping up with this case. Um, it, initially, it was the Long Island serial killer, but when they found the bodies, it was Gilgo Four. Well... I take that back. Anyway, you get it. People have multiple names for these serial killers and things like that. So I, I saw a meme the other day that was kind of good that uh, that was very germane to us. And I feel stupid that I didn't send it to you because I send you memes all the time. But it's like maybe I did send it to you. And you just didn't care, which is totally Kendra. But um, we need to oh stop giving we need to stop giving cool names to the killers like, you know, like a blind <clears throat> torture, blind torture kill or uh, the Green River killer. I'd call them like like the micro penis idiot killer, you know. <laughs> And like that way, like there's less <laughs> cool infamy in it. 
and like like you know like the absolute ridiculous stupid murder you know like we should just call him that so that like he doesn't feel good when it's going on he just gets mocked yep. the entire time so you know we could call this guy that like nice. the, we could call him the fatty fat 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 stupid uh idiot killer toupee man because his hair sucks yeah it does he, he looks like he shaves it like on the side of his of his above his ears you know what it looks like it looks like he shaved his friend's head and then glued that hair onto his hat his hat also, his head you know, his, eye, his eyebrows he, well he looks like he glued hair onto a hat is actually literally what it looks like <laughs> we'll get to him in a little bit anyway so he here's the like other thing shit. about Yes, and he acts like shit. So here's the thing about this: the these women, they also all operated through the back page of Craigslist. So at this time, uh, this was kind of the major way that these things were done. So we think that the serial killer is finding these victims and arranging to have dates with them through Craigslist. And uh, obviously, that's part of the dangerous lifestyle of of hookers is they're getting yes. into this. But they they say they have to announce like, well. What we have here is a series of murders. You know, it wasn't ha didn't happen in a spree. There was a cool down time between each murder. We could tell that you know some of these, uh, some of these ladies found here have been here for a while. So they're like, we got a serial killer. Mm -hmm. They realize that this is one person murdering these women. And what's interesting is the women. Um, they, you mentioned the cool down period, and I was saying they were all murdered in the summer, and I'm just. It's interesting when you see these serial killers do that, and there's usually a couple of reasons why. Sometimes it's a mental thing. It could be a it could be a number of reasons why, but the patterns are there, and they realize they have a serial killer. And these these women went missing from Midtown Manhattan and Long Island. So there's two different locations that these women would go missing from, um, and. One thing I want to mention real quick about Amber Costello is she had a um, a roommate well, during the investigations, um, and they spoke to him. His name was Dave Schaller, and Dave was kind of Dave kind of acted like her. Um, I don't know how to like a manager almost. He would help her field her clients essentially to make sure that she was going to be like somewhat safe, I guess. Because like you said, there's inherent danger when you do sex work because of the clientele and you're alone and all that stuff. Um, but Dave describes the guy that, sh that Amber left to go see that night. This was a repeat client of hers. And he described him as an ogre, <laughs> which is a pretty accurate description. <laughs> and also um, something of importance to keep note. Um, he drove a first gen Chevy avalanche, which was a pretty unique vehicle back then. Um, and the other thing that he said was that sh that he was calling her incessantly, like over and over and over and would talk to her for 30, 40 minutes at a time and paid her like triple what she would normally charge to leave without her cell phone in her purse. So I just want to make a note of that because we'll touch back on that in a little bit. It's just interesting. He's an interesting person because when I watched the documentary, when the killer had still not been identified, he was very contrite saying, if I had only walked a few steps closer, I could have gotten the license plate. You know, it's on me. I'm the reason why we don't have the information that we need. And then when it was revealed who the killer is and the reason why it took 13 years to catch him and not three months, his attitude completely changed to no longer being contrite and blaming himself 
but uh, he claims that he gave the police every single piece of information that they needed to find the guy. And it is the police's fault for not doing it. So at one point, he believed it was his fault until someone told him it wasn't anymore. So it's very interesting when you watch the documentaries on this case. And he figures very prominently in all of these things. He's always ready to talk. Um, you can always tell the documentaries that want to portray him as a hero because he has a tattoo on the right side of his neck of a Confederate flag. And if he's being portrayed as a hero in the documentary you're watching, that will be conveniently cut, covered up or they will not show that side of it. Uh, <laughs> I just think he's an he's an interesting person. He's not necessarily a bad guy. Um, here's what happens next. So we're heading into the winter. It's, it's December. Dogs have found these uh, bodies. And then they suspend the search, citing bad weather. In fact, at one point, uh, there's a police chief uh, for the Suffolk, Suffolk County police chief. His name's James Burke. He says, you know, canines don't like to lurk, work in the wintertime. So we're going to pull the dogs off of continuing to search for victims which is very weird, right? Like mm. maybe dogs don't want to work in the winter, but they are fucking dogs and they are they getting will. paid to, they are getting paid big salaries to do, to do their job. <laughs> All in milk bones. All in milk bones. So, he, let's uh let's talk briefly about uh what else goes on with the case and then we'll talk about the, the uh Suffolk County Police Chief if you want to. So, what okay. what else happened out there after we've discovered the Gilgo Beach Four? So, like you said, the, the search was suspended. We're in December when we find the Gilgo Four. The winter proceeds, and then um, the searches pick back up the next year in 2011. And they're pretty much searching everywhere that they possibly can because you've got four bodies. There's probably more, right? Well, they end up discovering, what was it, seven more people? Let's see, one... One, two, three, four, five, six, yeah, seven more bodies or parts of bodies, at least in some cases. Um, these these people, um, some of them are named, some of them are still, unfortunately, Jane and John Doe's, but the ones that we do know are um, Jessica Taylor, who went missing in 2003. Uh, she was a, an escort. Valerie Mack was another escort. Um, an Asian male who is a John Doe. He was found in, um, he's the only man that was found in all this, but it's believed that he was um, in women's clothing. So it's possible that he was an escort and was posing as a woman. Um, Karen Vergata was another victim that was found in the area. And she, um, if I'm not mistaken, is she's the Fire Island girl, correct? So she was not found whole, unfortunately, because she was part of her body was found in another case um, in a different location. But the rest of her, or at least some of the parts of her were found in the Gilgo Beach. Um, a toddler girl is what they call her. And her mother, who goes by the name Peaches, the nickname Peaches, they're both unidentified, but they were also found um, I can't remember exactly how far apart, but they were able to determine that they were mother and daughter. And eventually they found Shannon Gilbert as well. Um, they don't believe that she, they still don't, they, they hold the theory that she was not murdered, um, that she died um, from exposure or drowning. Out what happened, when she what happened to much. Shannon? Shannon was actually, even though she was missing 19 months, they actually found her, I think, within a quarter mile of where they last believed her to be. 
Mm-hmm. She had run out into the to a thicket of a marsh where the brush was really thick, and uh, she had disrobed herself at least partially. She'd taken off her clothes, and she had taken off her shoes, and she had been trudging through this really deep mud, which was like within like sight of a house. So she was not far away at all from civilization. You know, there were people nearby. She took some combination of drugs or something, uh, and succumbed to the elements. Different people believe different things. People who want Shannon Gilbert to be a victim of the Long Island serial killer say uh, that she showed signs of strangulation, which is how most of the other victims were killed. The Asian male was, uh, I believe, blunt force trauma. So he's an outlier, of course, just because uh, amongst all the women, he was an outlier. He doesn't at all fit the victimology of what the serial killer was looking for. But they say that Shannon showed signs of strangulation because she was missing her hyoid bone. She's been out there for 19 months. She's out there. She's been through all seasons, right? Summer, winter, fall, spring, and then doing it all over again. So she's deteriorated significantly, particularly in the, in the place where she's at, where there's lots of water and lots of animals. When you find remains like that and the hyoid bone is missing, that's often signs of strangulation because it's bone in your neck that disappears or whatever. But with that missing, there are people who want to say that she was definitely strangled and left there as well. However, the official position is of the police that she took drugs. She had an episode and uh, she disappeared and sort of placed herself in a dangerous situation from which she could not rescue herself. Yeah, It's just interesting, though, because you have to buy that as a huge coincidence, right? That we have another sex worker who is on Craigslist, who goes out and makes a call in the general area where these bodies are being dumped. She somehow has a negative encounter. She dials 911. She flees. uh, She disappears. And the search for her is what led to the finding of the Gilgo Beach 4 and the other victims that are there. But it gets weirder than that. It's not just the huge coincidence of Shannon disappearing into an area in which people are being dumped. Bodies are being dumped. The other bodies, as you mentioned, were not necessarily all found intact. We found uh, pieces out there uh, where... I guess there's really no way around it, but that suggests a completely other type of serial killer, what mm-hmm. you call a torso killer, where they're only finding uh, torsos. Uh, I know that you said that they found a part of a body uh, that belonged to a victim up in Manorville. I think that might have been Jane Doe number six. And on that, when her, her body had been found before, all the way back in 1996, that it was just her foot and it was found in a bag of feet. Mm hmm. And so the, the this is really conf- this is really confounding the initial investigation, right? Because you have these four bodies all seemingly linked. They're all within close proximity to each other. They're all dumped in these burlap sacks. But now you have all these other bodies being found in the same general area. And their modes and manner of death are completely different. They speak to a different type yeah. of personality. Are we talking about two people working in tandem? Are we talking about two serial killers who are aware of each other and the serial killer... Uh, the torso killer who's more full of rage is uh, he's essentially peeing on his street saying, this is my area. This is where I hunt. This is where I dump. Um, it's it's really yeah. strange. And that from there, you start drawing lines together, connecting things. What you get is bigger and bigger circles of violence in this area to the point where there were there were these bodies being found in Atlantic City that they thought might be connected to the same case. And there was sort of a, a postmortem staging being involved there. So it's like, there are a lot of serial killers going on right now in New England. 
And yeah, uh, there we have only caught one of them and charged it with the deaths of four of these people. So like, holy fuck, yeah. people. Well, one, I mean, one thing to mention, which um, we've already mentioned it, but we're really close to New York City. We're really close to um, a couple of other major cities. I mean, Baltimore is not a inf- like a unfathomable place to drive to, especially if, if it's something where, you know, I know a place to dump a body, right? Like people will drive hundreds of miles to dump a body if it means they're not going to get caught. Um, I mean, there's a bunch of major cities in the area and, and there's like, I forget the exact number, but there's like anywhere between like, what, 100 and 150 active serial killers that haven't been caught on any given day. So the odds of there being multiple serial killers, especially since um, the Asian male, I think he was the oldest case. Um, they believe that they've narrowed it down to um, his murder occurring in 1982. So if it was our guy that did the Gilgo Four, you have to think that's like 30 years of murdering, and then you're and you're changing up your your style and your mo very drastically, might I add, because the Gilgo Four were. Um, they died of, well, they listed it as homicidal violence, but essentially they were like beaten and strangled to death, right? So that is very different. And they're being wrapped in burlap sacks and thrown off the side of the road. It's It doesn't really match. So I think, I personally think that it's two different serial, kill, serial killers that just happen to know the same dumping grounds. I don't think that's too far-fetched, personally. I can- I will agree, generally agree with that. Let's talk more about this killer and let's talk about the events that led to him being killed. First of all, let's go back mm-hmm. to Melissa Bartholomew. Uh, I think I misphrased that, but whatever. Uh, was last seen outside it's of her fine. apartment uh, in the Bronx. She arranged to have a date, uh, $1,000, uh, to go out onto Long Island. She disappears. After her disappearance, her sister received several phone calls from her phone. So, of course, her sister's answering the phone and and thinking, Melissa, my God, where are you? Instead, what she's getting is calls from the serial killer. And he is saying vile things to her, like, are you a whore like your sister? And uh, I'm I'm with her now. I, I killed her. I'm standing above her body. I'm watching her rot, which is a fucking terrible thing to say to anyone let alone the sister of the victim. What does that tell you? This guy really likes to make people suffer. I can't imagine the modes in which these women uh, and other, and who, who all knows how many out there he's responsible for, but who knows how much they suffered if this is what he likes to do. He, uh, mm. he likes to call the victims and uh, taunt them and make them feel as much agony and pain as possible. In fact, our suspect in this case, now that he's being prosecuted, we know a lot of things about him, that he had searched uh, progress on the Gilgo Beach murders over 200 times from his personal computer. We know that he used Google to attempt to locate family members of many of the victims, which is pretty damning. Obviously, mm-hmm. he was going to attempt to to talk to them and, and taunt them like he did the sister of Melissa Bartholomew. Uh, but he was also known for, uh, you know, looking up torture porn. So at some point, this guy... Uh, he he took a leap from uh, being someone who thought about these things to started doing it. This is something we talked about with uh, the cannibal cop, right? Gil, uh, yeah, Gil, 
where he valley. took a leap from valley where he took a leap from uh writing about things and uh stalking people and having having dates with uh with uh, old friends that he would write stories about uh stalking and raping and murdering and eating he would go on dates with them now looking into this case i just think all the more that gill valley was preempted from a life of becoming like rex yearman uh, yes 100 percent. he seemed to definitely kind of be on this road and now he's just sort of a best-selling author and someone who cashes on his infamy not to redo that case uh <laughs> but what did we learn from the from the phone call right so we have certain phone call records it's coming back to burner phones we can't trace who those belong to if you don't know what a burner phone is it's basically you go down to walmart you buy a boost mobile phone you activate it you're assigned a cell phone number you just add money to that onto an account it's kind of like the way that like a uh a phone credit card used to work if you're as old as me you've probably made a phone call using a phone card kendra has no idea what i'm talking about i know what you're talking about john have you ever used one i don't think so then you're my a child. first cell phone okay <laughs> first cell phone. How, how old were you when you first got your first cell phone 13 <laughs> god i was out of college by the time i got my first one i was literally 22 which was probably well, the was, same time that you were 13. So I turned 13 in, in 2007. So at the beginning That's of 2007. When I graduated from college was yeah. you were you were how old? 13. You're 10 years you were, older than me, John. You were 13. You can do math. I graduated from college. I, I don't want to do the math is the point. My God. I got a Nextel like the beep beep one. Where you could know what... like walkie-talkie each other. Do you remember those? No, I didn't. All right, anyway, have anyone to, to walkie-talkie, you need to have a friend, not just a phone, that does that. Okay. It never came up, and you know, I never, never had one. Um. So, the the, the phone calls, where are they coming from? Um, turns out they're coming from Midtown Manhattan. So, like, you can use triangulation, roaming, and all these other technologies to try to figure out where people are. But you're in the most densely populated city on earth where you're not only mm -hmm. talking about how many people are in a square mile, but like within a square mile, you could have several skyscrapers, which in terms of area will have so many. But in terms of verticality, like altitude into the sky, because these <laughs> things have 110 floors, you're talking about millions and millions of people within a very small area. There's no way for you to trace that down. They were typically coming from uh, Midtown Manhattan. Like I said, at the end of the day, 536, these phone calls were coming in. And uh, once it finally got leaked to the press that the killer was contacting the family, that's when it stopped. Uh, but the phone calls would come to matter later when it came to uh, apprehending Rex, Kendra. Yeah, so um, the case actually goes cold for a while and it gets picked back up by um, a, a task force that was created by a new commissioner of Suffolk County. Um, that was created in February of 2022. So we found the rest of the bodies in 2011 and we're now um, 11 years later in 2022 creating this task force because they were not making any headway on the, on any of it. And there's four unsolved murders now um, along with the other bodies, but should, should we talk this... about, should we talk about Suffolk police now? And then why there was a task force created why, and why we couldn't solve this 13 years ago. Yeah, you have a good you have a good synopsis of this, so please go I ahead. I am I am ready to do this. So okay. the police chief at this time was a guy named James Burke. And when I saw him, I was instantly irritated by him because he had, he's got this class A uniform that has like five stars on the collar. And it's like, dude, when you're the chief, just put one star on there. Why are you like putting 
five stars on there. It's just way too many. Like, I don't believe, like, does your command staff all have stars? Anyway, <laughs> I didn't like that aspect of them. I'm, I'm a, I have weird hangups on things. I didn't like him right from the start. I'm going to read you this article about what he's doing these days. This article comes from an NBC News affiliate uh, in New York. Uh, this came out, this was updated uh, uh, September of last year. So this guy's name is James Burke, former police chief of Suffolk County. The disgraced former top cop on Long Island who has been arrested in a sex, solicit sex solicitation sting pleaded not guilty to the charges he faces. That's right. Former Suffolk police chief James Burke entered a not guilty plea Monday afternoon. The public lewdness and indecent exposure charges. Neither Burke nor his attorney offered comment while leaving court. So the chief of police is a fucking pervert, for one. Number two, he solicited the use of prostitutes very often while the chief of police and none of the other police officers in his department cared about it. Apparently, he would show up at functions with these women and just no one had the balls to say anything to him. He had already oh been arrested God. in August 22 in Suffolk County at Vietnam Veterans Memorial Park. As if the Vietnam veterans had not been through enough, they have a place to reflect on all the losses that we endured in a, in a, in a spirit of a nation that was broken. We got this guy being looted and soliciting sex acts. This was in Selden. <laughs> I know, it just ruins the park. After a law enforcement source told NBC News New York that the county park rangers had set up a sting operation at the spot, so they knew it was going to be there. That means if you got park rangers catching you, it means you are a fucking idiot, Okay. <laughs> and that's nothing against park rangers. I'm just saying, like, it wasn't exactly like a, it wasn't exactly a special task force that took him down. He initially faced four charges, including criminal solicitation and offering a sex act. So he's, you know, giving and taking out there. Both of those charges were dropped. The county's police commissioner confirmed it's not immediately clear why those charges were dropped. Um, the current police commissioner, Rodney Harrison, said the county park rangers made the arrest at the start of the undercover operation, responded to complaints of the solicitation. At the time of his arrest, Burke used, tried to use his name to avoid the arrest. Don't you know who I am? I'm a fucking pervert, but you know, oh I'm the former God. police chief of Suffolk County. <laughs> he was expressing to us how this would be a public humiliation for him. Sergeant Brian Quattrini said <laughs> with the park rangers. It was not the first time the former police chief got in trouble with the law. He was arrested by and he was released from federal prison in 2018 after serving time for beating a handcuffed man who stole a duffel bag from his vehicle that contained sex toys and porn and also his gun from his county issued <laughs> GMC Yukon. So he parks his GMC Yukon issued to him by the county outside, leaves his gun out there, leaves his sex toys out there, leaves his porn out there. By the way, this guy is not married. He does not have a family. Why is he in possession of these things? They're pretty much for his prostitutes. Um, Really, really fucking terrible guy. So he tells disgusting. he tells the FBI he tells the FBI to buzz off. And why is that? It's because if the FBI comes down there and starts talking to the cops and saying, like, you know, what's the sex trade like around here? Like, do you see a lot of prostitution? They'll just be like, ask the chief. He knows most of them. You know, like, if, yeah. If 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 the FBI started he, digging around in this guy's backyard, he's definitely going to find out what a piece of shit the chief is. So the chief tells the FBI to beat it. And now for 13 more years, we have the Long Island serial killer out there free walking around unpunished putting other yep. sex workers at risk because this fucking guy who wants to blow people in a vietnam veterans park doesn't want to get caught like that's literally the situation like we have talked about yes. a lot of people on this podcast who are truly pieces of shit 
And I'm always astounded in new ways that there's always a, a new one. Somehow some human being is behaving in a new and terrible way. But yep. he led the Suffolk County Police Department, one of the largest police forces. Case in point, they have 10 911 peace apps just in Suffolk County alone. It's, I can't imagine that. He led that during that three-year period. Uh, he ended up getting convicted of uh, beating that guy up, obstructing civil mm -hmm. rights. Also, the state's attorney was covering for him at that time. Uh, when that when that suspect who stole his shit tried to complain, the state's attorney made it go away. The state's attorney also wound up in prison. So these are the people who are running the show. Like they're not detectives, but no one can bring anything to anywhere because these are the people who are running the show this fucking corrupt pervert yes. is in charge of suffolk county and that's why nothing ever happens and why do we need to say that kendra because we're the pro police disc uh podcast right pro mm -hmm. pro police here but we're going to call it like it is we do not call this guy one of our own he is not someone that we're standing up for we're not going to say excuses for him it's so stressful being a police chief you just you just have to have sex with with women and pay for it no we're not saying that <laughs> fuck this guy He's a disgrace to all of us, whoever wore the badge, especially me, because I never even wore it. I'm more disgraced than anybody somehow by this guy. <laughs> um, yeah, I think anyway, that's... Anyway, that, that I, was the police chief and why nothing ever fucking got done. And and yeah, we, could go through, I, we could go through the clues of how... how I, I don't want to say easy, because I've never like you know conducted an investigation, but seemingly easy, we get to locate Rex Hureman. Yeah, the task force that... So easy, in fact, that the task force that was formed by Rodney Harrison, um, it took them six weeks to identify Rex Hewerman as the uh, Long Island serial killer or the killer of the Gilgo Four. And they did this through uh, information that has that had been in the files the entire time. And it is information. What's that? They read them. It's an important investigative tool. Yes. They use their eyeballs to read and their brains to comprehend it. And they were able to figure out who this guy was. And um, one of the clues, one of the major clues was the clue that was given to uh, to us or to investigators by Dave Schaller, one of the victim's um, roommates. That Chevy avalanche was a huge piece of um, of evidence. And they were also able to uh, pull the phone records of the victims and they, they saw these burner phones, these burner accounts contacting these, these girls, these women um, over and over. And they were bouncing off towers in, a, in Manhattan, but also in a place called uh, Massapequa park, which is a little, it's a neighborhood on long Island. Uh, Massapequa Park is not super big, and there's I think there's only one, one or two towers. But they were able to take these phone records and narrow down a location of where the suspect could be inside of a couple of blocks that they called the Massapequa box. Okay, so inside the box now they collect all of the addresses, and they run uh, vehicle searches for. <laughs> Thank you for adding to this with your hand gestures, John. It's very nice. I'm doing it for the they, hard of hearing. <laughs> they have gotten I'm nothing sure from this helpful. podcast for three years, and I have finally shown up tonight. I'm sure it's very helpful and not confusing at all for them. Um, they do vehicle searches for a Chevy Avalanche, and one pops up inside the box. 
And this uh, Chevy Avalanche belongs to Rex Huerman. Seen so, here. Let's show his face. Let's show the owner. Oh, he's Ugh. horrible. And he's an award-winning architect in Midtown Manhattan with lots of money. He, yes. Uh, Rex Huerman is a very, was a very successful um, consultant for architect architectural happenings. And um, he was very good at getting permits for things that the city did not want to give permits for. And he got paid lots of money because he was able to solve some of the bigger issues um, at his firm that he was just well known for it. Um, he was but, a troubleshooter. Yeah. Yes. So they took his phone records as well. And they were able to see that um, by the way, his uh, firm is in where midtown Manhattan. And they were able to, to see that his uh, phones, his phone was in the same place at the same time as these burner phones. So they they're very confident that they have their guy at this point. Um, it's not enough there to was... convict, but you have you have leads that are generated that are strong enough for probable cause, right? Now you could start getting warrants. Yes. Like let's take a look at the guy. Yep. Let's see if we can get a copy of his DNA. They follow him around. They get some abandoned stuff. They find a pizza. They get his DNA off of that, and then they start doing these you know the searches to see what his internet history is like. The stuff that I mentioned before. And it all starts falling into place, folks. Plus, the Chevy Avalanche, which, by the way, this is a first-generation Chevy Avalanche. It was a very unique vehicle back in 2010. The Chevy Avalanche is remains today one of those vehicles you make fun of people for because it's for people who don't know if they want an SUV or pickup truck because the box on the truck is like three feet big. It's like it's mm -hmm. actually smaller than the Massapequa box, if you can believe that. It's very small. <laughs> It's a pickup truck for people who want SUVs. It's an SUVs for people who want pickup trucks. Very unique vehicle. There probably weren't that many of them, especially inside the Massac Pequa Park box. Uh, this vehicle was actually found in South Carolina, where he had other property, uh, and yes. he also had he also had property out in Las Vegas. The other thing that's interesting about him is that all of these killings were timed to when his wife Asa and his children his child and stepchild were out of the country in Iceland. So this guy gets mm -hmm. to play like big town, big city troubleshooting architect by day. And then when family goes off to Iceland, he gets to call out hookers and, uh, you know, strangle them to death. That's the kind of guy that we're talking about. It's, it's very, very yeah. similar to, uh, to, to BTK, the way that he would lead a, mm -hmm. a regular life. And then when the mood struck him, he would become, uh, he would resume once more his, uh, his serial yeah. killing ways. Yeah, one of the interesting things, too, that had to do with his wife is um, the physical evidence that was taken off some of the bodies, like hair. Um, there were multiple, there were a couple of different uh, DNA profiles that were um, found at the scene. And like you, like you mentioned, they were able to follow Rex around and um, get his DNA off of a pizza that he threw away in the trash. They grabbed it. They swabbed it and they were able to compare the DNA from the pizza crust to the hair that they found on one of the, the girls. And it was a match. Um, well, it, it, to break it down as far as I guess you could, um, this profile that they pulled off of um, these DNA samples had a, a match that was like the odds of it being another person was like 0.04%. So it's him, right? But the other interesting thing is they found, like I said, other hair um, that they actually determined to be Asa's hair on these women. 
and they they don't ever believe that she was involved but you know no it's just common transfer it's transfer right but that helped to basically even further solidify yes he fucking did this so they get the uh they get the warrant for the arrest and they arrest him while he's um pretty much exiting the building um at his firm in midtown manhattan um they do their search warrant and they locate uh some evidence the trial is still forthcoming so they don't have they haven't released what like what kind of evidence they found but they did find the the vehicle in south carolina and they are planning to search that property as well as the las vegas property and see if he did any murders or anything anywhere else um and that pretty much brings us up to uh to now he's still awaiting trial as i said earlier um, initially he was only charged with um melissa megan and amber's murders and they uh in january they were able to link him to um, maureen so now he's being charged with all four and it's interesting i i'm follow i'm gonna be following it and we'll you know it's it's a it's a happy ending i guess to this and it's nice to see that they did it so swiftly and they it's so infuriating to be pro-police and read these types of cases where it is so blatantly obvious why things didn't get done and these poor families had to unnecessarily sit with that for 11 years well longer because their loved ones went missing a couple of years before they were even found so you know it's um like you said we don't claim that we don't they're not part of the community yeah fuck that guy he's a piece of shit and i thought i thought you were being a little too diplomatic about it well remember he is he is he is you know Whacking off in a Vietnam veterans park. Of course. In the park. Oh, no, he's a giant. He's a piece of shit. Uh, But, you know, it's it's extra. It's almost like. It's not almost. It is worse when it's somebody like that. We've talked about this before with with the with Gil's case. When you have somebody that's given trust. And appointed powers. To hold a, a a societal standard and protect people from the very things that you're fucking doing, you are worse, in my opinion, than a lay person who is an asshole because they're not being held to a certain societal standard or expectation to hold some moral line or a law and order. Well, whatever not you only call that, it. I mean, that that's how it is for all police officers, but this guy was the chief. Okay, so the chief has the I highest know. standard. And if you're going to be at the top, the highest standard applies to you. Okay, we, we all, I'm a civilian. We can hold police officers to a higher standard. We can do that, I guess. I mean, they're in charge of us, so we have to have public trust in them, which means they have to meet that standard. The chief's got to be the highest standard of all. And not only that, but when you are the chief and you like to have escorts and escorts are turning up in your jurisdiction, you know what you do? You fucking resign. You fucking get the FBI in there. You explain your problems and explain to them why it wasn't you. You get exonerated and you fucking disappear and hope that your name never, ever comes up. Yes. That's the right thing to do. But this guy's a a piece of shit and he didn't do anything right. So. Yep. He is the reason why. 
he's gone and he'll be going back to prison obviously since all of his uh his shit of solicitation that was all at the end of last year so you know he'll be going to trial on that probably pretty quick and he'll disappear and he'll never be anything but it, it's a footnote uh in a rather bizarre case that had several other suspects including this hackett there was another guy named john bitchloff who was like also involved turned out to be a serial killer at all who was partially related by someone else who had dna con- by his brother convicted yeah. of another crime there's all these huge like ways that we could like break this down and we could turn this into a podcast of who done it forever but now we know we know who did it and uh, it's just a matter of making sure that we go through an intense legal process of scrutiny a trial to make sure that we can say for all time that we know that it was rex Hurman, and we have evidence at this point to charge him with the case we need to go through that have him uh, endure the the rigorous defense and uh, we know that he'll probably be facing life in prison because that's just how these cases typically turn out but yep. i'm glad for the families that they got some kind of resolution there are so many victims out there where they have gone unloved and gone unreported peaches and her daughter case in point we only know her because of her tattoo we don't know who the loved ones are who are out there searching for her uh, those two cases have never been connected there's a great number of people in this country who uh, disappear. And like I said, they're unloved and unclaimed. And it's a very sad thing indeed. And uh, there's more there's more serial killers out there that are waiting to be apprehended, Kendra. And you and I will be yeah. here to have no part in helping, but talking about it later. <laughs> well, I'm um, just being honest. I, wa- I know. I know. I mean, it's good to make it's good to make people aware we it's, obviously... it's important to notice that that true crime podcasts don't fucking do anything just so you know we don't put pressure on anybody we don't affect anything we're not we're not alerting the community we're not raising awareness there's a tmz thing about this i didn't raise awareness stop it <laughs> i'm not saying i'm just we're bringing the story to people we're um, bringing but... it to the, to the few hundred people who watch failure to stop now you're aware <laughs> um there's a movie that i've seen that's pretty good. It's about um, this case. It's called Lost Girls. And it follows the story of, I believe, Shannon Gilbert's mother. Um, and her. she basically bands together with the other um, family members of the Gilgo Four to hunt down. They, they hunt down the Peter Hackett guy like they, in the movie because they believe that he did it. And then it's very good. It's very, very good. I... I watched it on Netflix. I don't know if it's still on Netflix. Probably not, but you should watch it. It's very good. And All it right, made folks. me cry. Um, <laughs> and then I, I ate Zaps chips the whole time I watched it. And it's, it's cried. Some salty, delicious Zaps chips. Uh, folks, next up on Failure to Stop is Wednesday. They're going to get all the true crime, true news, political news that you need <laughs> so that you don't sound as dumb as I just did. Catch uh, Anthony and Eric as they break down uh, all the stories from what's going on in the modern world so that you don't sound like an asshole this weekend when you're going out to the barbecue. Then on Thursday, we're going to have sports of some kind. Some sport is happening. We'll talk about it. Kendra will be there for a special edition of sport on Thursday. (laughs) She will not. I just want everyone to have fun. I don't even want that. (laughs) Uh, and, And then on Friday... Uh, we're going to do another big case breakdown with Eric. And then of course we'll see you all here next week with Monday and uncopted back here next week. Also for true crime Tuesday. Uh, thank you for watching. We appreciate you as always. Uh, Kendra, why don't you say your sign off? Um, stay safe. Uh, you know, don't, 
don't do anything I wouldn't do. Um, make sure you pay attention for Buffalo head nickels. Um, eat Zaps chips and don't um, carry a duffel bag full of porn and dildos and fuck prostitutes in your patrol vehicle. Good night. Good night. <laughs>